We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this journey in leadership. Before we start, we want our listeners to know that the information provided during this podcast is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Providence Mission Leadership Institute. We are welcoming back Margaret Silf. Her writing reflects her experiential approach and the moment-by-moment events and choices of everyday living. In part two of our conversation, we're talking about growing out of questions rather than certainty. Okay, let's welcome back Margaret. Margaret, I want to thank you for joining us in the way that you have described this sense of how to review your day, especially in a medical family, a way that we know most of our physicians, our nurses are experiencing tremendous, tremendous stress and in their work life, trying to find the positivity. And I love how you shared that even at the dinner table to think about the joy, uh, to think about the challenges at our house, we we talk about the rose and the thorns. And it's interesting to watch as a, a four year old gives me their rose or uh, the the six-year-old gives me their thorn and how we start off with these notions of our own discovery as you had just shared and how to use our memory maybe to discover things that are beautiful indeed yes very much so yes it it is a beautiful practice um so yeah um i could think of a few things that my children of the children have have come up with them and as you say in a medical family often it's a debriefing time especially when the children have gone to bed they because in our health services which you know is runs on a totally different basis to yours Mm -hmm. it's very very stressed in the there's no private medicine in obstetrics um anyway there is private medicine in some specialties but mainly it's the public hospitals. They're not run in the way that yours are run. It's stress all the way. And often uh, there's no time for or opportunity for either my, my son-in-law or my daughter to, to de-stress, to, to talk to anyone about things, especially if in obstetrics, if to lose a baby mm-hmm. or even worse, a maternal death, which is very rare, but happens. I've seen my daughter be completely on the ground with with that she's mm-hmm. absolutely devastated when anything goes wrong and she'll work through by talking it out not that i know what i, I, I can't give any advice but she just talks through the other day for instance there was a patient who had um, a few months ago a biopsy and she my daughter said at the time it came back negative it was benign but she said i had a feeling this wasn't right and for some reason, she couldn't explain it. She said, I just put a note down, get this patient back in. Hmm. She got her in last week. And now it may have changed in the meantime, but now it is cancer. And so tomorrow she's going to have this conversation with that patient. Another example of, it's not examined exactly, but my son-in-law was called out to a drowning of some time ago now. And... Um, 
three children were involved. One at least was drowned and the father was drowned in, uh, off the west coast of Scotland. And Paul came back again, very devastated. Yeah. Um, and he said, not least because the little girl that they'd been working on um, was the same age as his daughter. And he came back and he, and he, he, we needed to talk about it. And I, yeah. I'm always there, you know, that's one thing I can do. So I said, uh, so he said, do you know, Margaret, this child was so critically ill that she could not be moved in the helicopter. She would have died in the helicopter. We couldn't dare risk moving her. And he said, I came, I've come out of this feeling actually really very proud because he said, I've realized that when we can't take the patient to the hospital, we move heaven and earth to take the hospital to the patient. Yes. Yeah. And they called in at short notice pediatric consultants who were off duty and they got the whole team somehow they, they got a team together with the equipment and they took everything out to this remote place in the Western Isles and, and got this child stable. Mm. So, and, and I, when I heard that, I didn't say this to Paul, but I thought to myself, um, the importance of going after the one sheep that gets lost, you know, they, that's our emergency services are doing that all the time. They're going after the lost sheep, the one that's seriously ill or got into trouble or had an accident or in dementia and doesn't know what they're doing or our emergency services and yours are constantly going for that lost sheep. And I think that's pretty amazing. One of the ways that we all try and cope or, or live has to do with recognizing what's going on inside of us. And yeah. as physicians and as nurses and as leaders, we have a lot happening that we can't always talk about with people. And I know that that can be very difficult. And you have written so well in terms of the other side of chaos and at sea with God. And, and one of the great books uh, that we know so many have read is The Inner Compass. And you write this, grow out of questions rather than certainty discovery rather than doctrine, the experience of everyday living rather than academic study. Margaret, can you elaborate on that sentence? Because it gets really at what we were talking about in the sense of, of physicians and of nurses, of paramedics, of, of medical yeah, staff. Yeah. Well, when I hear that, and I often think, you know, when people quote stuff back that I wrote 20 years ago, I think, oh, it sounds very polarized. It sounds, it's dualistic. That yeah. state, those statements are dualistic. So not, they're not really to be taken too seriously, but well, they are in a way because I, yes, I do still think that certainty, I think certainty is an absolute killer. As soon as we've got certainty, I don't mean this kind of certainty about knowing what to do with a sick patient. I mean certainty about the mystery that we call God or whatever we may call it. It's a killer because it blocks any further searches. If if you if you're certain about something, if you think with your if we think with our little human consciousness that we've got it with God, we've certainly missed the point. I think we're not we're not so we've we've left the pilgrimage. We've gone into the hostel and we're not moving on. So that's what I, I meant by it. Um, doctrines, doctrines seem to me to be a way of formulating a kind of certainty. This, isn't, this is actually, may I suggest, my own feeling is it's illusory. Hmm. Um, 
we've got it with the Trinity, for instance. We've got a doctrine of the Trinity. For goodness sake, who knows what the Trinity is? I, I must share with you. Um, well, I, I mustn't, but I will. Um, <laughs> I heard two two examples I, I actually experienced. One was in the States, and it was um, in a big convent. And it was Trinity Sunday, and there were about 200 sisters, all of whom could have been CEOs of some major undertaking, you know? Mm -hmm. And the, the, the priest was wheeled in to, to do the thing, you know, to celebrate Eucharist and preach. And the, 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 the man concerned was probably one of their ex-pupils, you know, he was that age, and that, some of them certainly did, had taught him. And I, I hope he's not listening into this, but <laughs> he's, he said, this is the Trinity. He said, imagine these, um, these uh, celebrity chefs, cooks on television. And uh, can you just imagine there's one in front of you and he's got a pile of meat and some onions and some carrots and he's chopping the meat and he's chopping the onions and he's chopping the carrots and he's putting them all in the, in the pot. It's three separate things, but it makes one stew. Well, the sisters were cringing. It's mm. awful in the image of the Trinity. And I was telling a friend here, who's also a religious sister in the northeast of England, she said, well, Margaret, I was floored one day because she taught in a very uh, deprived area of the country. And uh, the children, most of them would have seen the inside of a prison before they were 18. They were troubled children. Um, and uh, he... Um, she said that there was one kid of about 13 or so who was particularly troublesome and always disrupted her RE lessons. And um, so one day she was just hoping he wouldn't come, but she was trying to say something about the Trinity. And she mentioned the Trinity and they all glazed over. But this little kid pipes up, hey, I know about the Trinity, miss. I can tell you about the Trinity. And she thought, oh, dear, what's coming? And he said, well, it's a bit like me riding my bike. He said, God the Father's the front wheel and Jesus, God the Son is the back wheel. But without the chain in between, the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to move. <laughs> well, <laughs> which was the better homily on the Trinity? There you are. <laughs> so doctrines, doctrines are really about trying to pin down certainties that we don't really have. I think a lot of doctrines are. So it, it seems to me, and it seemed, seems to me from the way Jesus taught that he appealed to people's lived experience, not what they believed, but how they were living, not orthodoxy, but orthopraxis. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, it's, it's noticing lived experience, really, um, because our, our certainties are really only assumptions. We're, we don't have much certainty about anything. And at the end of the day, not quite the end of the day, but at the end, as Jesus was dying, the last thing he had to let go of was certainty. Mm. Oh, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? Mm. He didn't know at that point. Mm. And once we let go of certainty, we make room for mystery, I think. That's, that's why I wrote what I did. Um, but the, the importance of lived experience, we once had the pleasure of um, a young Jesuit scholastic staying with us for, for a few weeks. It was part of, we were part of his experiment, I think. And um, he, he was from the Czech Republic. And it happened that I was just writing the, the first draft of 
what you know is in a compass. It's the rest of the world knows it as landmarks. And I was just writing that, and he expressed some interest in it. And so I gave him some to the early drafts to read. And as I did so, I, I apologized and said, Thomas, I said, I, you know, you, this isn't going to work for you. This is, I have no idea about theology. And I'll never forget what he said. Um, he said, Margaret, lived experience is the first line of theology. Everything else is a level of indirection. That's not to say we don't need formal theology, but lived, he's, he convinced me that lived experience is where it begins. So that's it's kind so, of... It's so beautiful how you described our everyday. And it's something that you give to us as uh, people in the medical world, that sense of what is the everyday, right? And not to wrap it up into the mind, but to live it out. And I know our time is so short and across from the pond, uh, it, it could go on for much longer than this. And I hope that we can continue that dialogue, Margaret, over, over these months and years ahead, because this has been so uh, helpful to those who will listen to our time together. It's the time to just tell you one little story sure, about Paul. Please. Um, I was once getting, I was quite down, uh, it was some years ago, and I was thinking, I wasn't a very good grandmother, I'm not a doting granny, and especially at that time I wasn't, and I was travelling a lot and everything, and I felt, oh, what's my life about? And and Paul picked that up one day, he came in from a night shift, and he picked up my mood. He said, Margaret, what's wrong? I said, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, you go sleep. He said, no, you're not. I said, well, Paul... There's you and my daughter every day going out saving lives, literally. And here am I, I can't even make it as a decent granny sometimes, you know? And he, we left it at that. And I said, but you don't need this after a night shift. Go and get some sleep. And I walked away from him. We're in the kitchen. I walked out of the room towards the door. And he stopped me and he said, Margaret, and I thought, oh, now what have I done? He said, there's something you need to hear. And I thought, oh, what? this is terrible. The children don't like it. It's terrible. And he said, Margaret, you're right. My, Kirsten and I save lives every day. But then he said, what is the point of saving lives if people don't have a vision to live for? Mm. I've never forgotten that. It meant everything to me at that time. So anyway... <laughs> It's pure, you yeah. know, this sense of a vision and to offer that to the world. Margaret, you've given us that, and I want to thank you for that. I want to thank Margaret for joining us and to everyone for listening. To learn more about Margaret and find her books, go to loyolapress.com slash authors slash Margaret dash sylph. You can find the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn. Isn't it wonderful to hear from Margaret from, as she says, across the pond, giving us a life of humor and of hope. Thanks, Margaret. Be well.